Leviticus chapter 2 on Sunday nights we make our way through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and we pick things up in Leviticus chapter 2 By way of a short review in, in light of uh, my absence last week, the book of Leviticus comes from a Greek word meaning things that pertain to the Levites. It is essentially an uh, instruction manual for the priests of the children of Israel. Chapters 1 through 7 of Leviticus give, gives them very, very specific instruction regarding five offerings that were a part of their regular worship of the Lord, uh, the burnt offering, the grain offering, the peace offering, sin offering, and trespass uh, offering. Last time we uh, studied chapter 1 having to do with the burnt sacrifice. Uh, one of the unique characteristics of the burnt sacrifice is that it was burned entirely. The uh, entire thing except for the hide that was given to the priest. But it was burned virtually entirely uh, on the altar and what it represented was complete consecration of the worshiper to God. That their life belonged uh, completely uh, to, uh, to him. And uh, that's what uh, the worshiper would be communicating to the Lord. We went in, uh, with some fair depth in, in chapter 1 to a lot of the imagery and how it points to Christ. We won't do that in every one of these offerings, but uh, much of that imagery holds through uh, related to all of, all of the offerings. In chapter 2, um, uh, the Lord speaks to the children of Israel, gives them instruction related to the grain offering. When anyone offers a grain offering uh, to the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour. The grain offering uh, represented as it was offered to the Lord. It was an expression of thanksgiving on the part of the offer to the Lord. It was a, a thanksgiving offering to God, thanking Him for His daily provision uh, in their lives and specifically bread what could be made from grain and so it was an expression of, of the worshippers heart a recognition that we depend upon you for our daily bread we depend upon you to provide for us you have provided for us and so we offer this grain offering as an expression of our our thanksgiving the, beautiful, the offerings also a beautiful picture of Jesus as the bread of life and uh, what uh, the grain was and what that meant to the children of Israel in a physical sense, that daily sustenance for fuel and for energy and all that to be thankful for on a physical level. Jesus declared himself in the New Testament to be the bread of life. And so that recognition of what he brings to our life spiritually. We're, we are... Uh, as Christians, where there are two men, there are two people uh, alive in each of us. There's the natural man, the physical man that needs these physical things, but we also have a spiritual man uh, inside of us by the Holy Spirit. And, there, and this whole side of our life that needs the blessings of the Lord, <clears throat> the feeding of the Word, and all these things that we have in Christ, as much for our spirit as our body needs daily bread. And of course, Jesus, it is His sacrifice on the cross that made it possible for those things to be internalized into our lives and to uh, be provided for us each day of, of our, our pilgrimage. 
I think what a joy it is uh, as a Christian to live a life of thanksgiving uh, to the Lord uh, for our physical blessings in life, for our spiritual uh, blessings in life. Someone has said that uh, they feel sorry for the atheist and the agnostic because when they want to be thankful, they have no one to thank. And uh, there's a lot of, that's not a cheap shot. There's a lot of truth to that. And one of the great things about the Christian life is to recognize God is the origin of these blessings in our life. There's something wonderful about receiving a blessing from someone and then uh, acknowledging it, recognizing it, and then enjoying that blessing with the one who has given us that blessing. And that's our portion as Christians to think that all this stuff is coming my way as an atheist or whatever in life just by virtue of the I, me, and my Sure, you get to partake of all, of all of those things, but who do you enjoy it with? You have no one to enjoy it with, like we have the privilege of enjoying it with the Lord and offering up thanksgiving to Him. It's a privilege uh, to be a thankful person. It's a privilege to have thanksgiving, an attitude of thanksgiving, a constant cause for thanksgiving to be a part of our lives as Christians and it's always there and it's one of the things that makes us rich and so this offering was a thanksgiving and an acknowledgement Lord thank you for how you bless us, how you take care of, of our, our daily needs. It was to be an offering made of fine uh, flour the very best flour, there wasn't to be any kind of grit or coarse or impurities in it. Again, speaking of Jesus' uh, perfection, his sinlessness, no guilt in his life of sin, no coarseness in his life, uh, no impurity found in him. Boy, did they look for it and they couldn't find it. As Jesus said, which of you convicts me of sin, can accuse me of sin? And uh, nobody could break the silence of that question that he offered uh, to them. So he shall... Uh, pour oil on it and put frankincense on it so it speaks of olive oil so you'd bring this grain offering and this flour offering you'd pour olive oil on it also put frankincense on it the olive oil represents the Holy Spirit in the scriptures and so it speaks of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' life it also speaks of the importance of the Holy Spirit to our spiritual life to a healthy strong uh, spiritual life the frankincense uh, and incense being a picture of prayer in the scriptures and uh, because it's a sweet smell to the Lord when they would offer the incense to the Lord and so it speaks of the facts that are our thanksgiving it speaks of the fact that we recognize his blessings and we thank him for it that that's something sweet to him that's the way a dad is and an and a, and a earthly dad is evil compared to our heavenly father it blesses him and it brings him pleasure when we give him uh, thanksgiving and so also speaks of the place of prayer and the life and the ministry of Jesus both then uh, and and now and the importance of, of uh, prayer in our spiritual life again not only the ministry of the Holy Spirit but prayer for us to be spiritually the strong people that, that we need to be now some of the details about the offering he shall bring it that is the offer to Aaron's sons, the priests, one of whom shall take it from, his, uh, from it his handful of fine flour 
and oil with all of its frankincense. And the priest shall burn it, and then here it is, as a memorial. So it's a remembrance. It's saying, God, I remember that this has come from you. It was to be burnt as a memorial on the altar, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. Then the rest of the grain offering shall be Aaron's and his sons. It was most holy of the offerings to the Lord made by fire. So he might bring a big kind of bag of wheat um, to kind of offer to the Lord. The priest would just take a handful of it uh, and then there would be the frankincense and the oil applied to it. That would be burnt on the fire, but the remaining portion that had been brought would be given to the priests. Again, remember the priests and the tribe of Levi were not, would not be given a portion of land allotted in the land and uh, so God provided for them from the offerings of the people. And so this is the way that they got uh, grain and, and uh, flour for their uh, daily needs. And the rest of the grain offering shall be... Oh, already said that. <laughs> we don't want to go backwards, do we? Verse 4. And, and you shall bring an offering uh, as an offering, a grain offering, baked in the oven. So some alternatives to bringing just a handful of, uh, of uh, fine flour in your hands. You could bring it uh, already kind of baked in the oven, made into some kind of a, of a loaf or something, but it would be a very flat loaf because there's no leaven in it. Uh, it shall be unleavened cakes of fine flour mixed with oil or unleavened wafers anointed with oil. But if your offering is a grain offering, baked in a pan. So you could kind of have a that kind of a pancake offering deal. It shall be a fine flour, unleavened, mixed with oil. And you shall break it in pieces, pour oil on it. It is a grain offering. If your offering is a grain offering baked in a covered pan, it shall be made of fine flour with oil. You shall bring the grain offering that is made of these things to the Lord. And when it is presented to the priest, he shall bring it to the altar. And then the priest shall take it, Take from the grain offering a memorial portion and burn it on the altar. It is an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. Again, it's good to be reminded of how much he notices and appreciates our thanksgiving directed to him. Never eat a meal without thanking him. And what is left of the grain offering shall be Aaron's and his son's. It is most holy of the offerings of the to the Lord made by fire. No grain offering which you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven, for you shall burn no leaven nor any honey and offering to the Lord made by fire. And so it was uh, not, you, you couldn't bring any kind of, uh, of uh, uh, grain or, or the, the, the flour that had any kind of leaven in it. Leaven is a picture of sin in the Bible because it creates a fermentation which is essentially a, a corruption and uh, there is no corruption in uh, Jesus nor is there to be any corruption or sin mixed with our thanksgiving that we're being lifting up to the Lord. Our thanksgiving should be offered from a pure heart not a sin-filled heart or a half hearted heart toward the Lord but it is to be a pure heart. Honey was also prohibited because it introduces the same process of fermentation um, 
as, uh, as leaven does. And as for the offering of the first fruits, and so he speaks now of the first fruits. The first fruits, you don't have to memorize this for a test or anything, but the first fruits is kind of a subcategory of the grain offering, where they wouldn't just bring uh, flour in some form, but where they're getting ready, uh, they see as they go out to their fields and they see that the wheat uh, harvest is going to be, wow, this is going to be a good year. Thank you, Lord. And uh, they would go and cut a section of it, bring it green uh, to the temple or to the tabernacle, offer it to the Lord, even before it was something that they could eat. The, the, the offer would be so eager to say, thank you, God, for how you've taken care of us this year, that, that he would bring that even before it could be in, in the grain or the uh, uh, flower form. As for the offering of the first fruits, you shall offer them to the Lord, but they shall not be burned on the altar for a sweet aroma. And every offering of your grain offering you shall season with salt. Again, salt, speaking of uh, it arrests corruption, uh, and, and so it speaks of purity. Once again, the offering was to be offered with a pure heart, or thanksgiving with a, with a pure heart. You shall not allow the salt of the covenant of your God to be lacking from your grain offering. With all your offerings you shall offer salt. If you offer a grain offering of your first fruits to the Lord, you shall offer for the grain offering of your first fruits grain heads of grain roasted on the fire, Grain beaten from full heads, and you shall put oil on it, lay frankincense on it, all representing the same things. It is a grain offering. Then the priest shall burn the memorial portion, part of its beaten grain and part of its oil, with all the frankincense as the offering made by fire to the Lord. And so... Uh, the, the beautiful Thanksgiving grain offering. Chapter 3 heads into the peace offering. When his offering is a sacrifice of a peace offering. And so let's talk about what that peace offering is a, a little bit. As we're going to learn, we don't get it in this chapter. So it's a little bit, you have to kind of wait a little bit. God staggers his information on the, the peace offering a little bit. But as we get into chapter 7, one of the distinguishing, uh, we'll see that one of the distinguishing characteristics of of the peace offering was that the offering or the animal was offered to God then what God would do is he wouldn't cause that animal to be completely consumed upon the fire he would receive that animal take a portion of the animal to himself that would be cons completely consumed on the altar but then he would take another portion of the animal give it to the priests and then a third portion of the animal and give it to the worshiper and so everyone was eating a portion of the same animal and so the peace offering represents a thanksgiving offering to the Lord for fellowship with God here's how it works in the Jewish mind um, the Jewish person uh, viewed eating with other people as very much a mystical experience in other words, if you would go to their house and they would offer you a meal, there's the pita bread, there's the sauces, there's the meat that's on the table or whatever, and you would take your pita bread, dip it into the sauce, grab a piece of the meat and put it in your mouth. Someone else would do that. And how they would view that is that everyone at the end of the meal, everyone had the same bread, the same sauce, the same meat inside of them. So now they are mystically, uh, there's a mystical union that has occurred as a result of the meal. 
And uh, that's why Jews would never eat with Gentiles. They did not want any union with Gentiles, mystical or otherwise. And don't fault him for that. The, Jew, the Gentiles, you know, were no bargain in those days. They aren't today either. So, but, but that's how they viewed the meal. So when God took this offering and he shared it with everyone else, and the implication is that he partook of it too, it represented now a union with God. It represented the fact that the offer had a relationship with God, but it was a relationship with God that was initiated by God. He shared the offering. Now, there's only one thing better than a relationship with God, and that's a relationship with God that God wants. <laughs> and he wants, a relation, he wants a relationship with man. And so here is this offering, and uh, they would all then partake of the same thing. They would recognize we are in relationship with God. We are at peace with God because of the offering. Now you, you, you may not, I mean, you, I don't know what your bank balance is tonight. Don't shout out. Negative. Uh. <laughs> but as a, a simple born-again Christian, you think about how rich we are to have peace with God. To wake up in the morning and know I'm right with God. You remember when you weren't right with God? Remember how that felt? When you remember the price you paid every day for that, the weight of that, the toll that it takes on a person. And then at 10 o'clock in the morning to be going about my business, whatever my business is at 10 o'clock in the morning, and to know I'm right with God. I have peace with God. I may be running into who knows what in this fallen world, but I am not resisting God anymore. I have a personal relationship with Him. I have peace with Him. And it makes us rich. And they knew they were rich. And that's why they offered the offering to the Lord to acknowledge that. Just tonight to realize I have peace with God. When I put my head down on the pillow, I have peace with God. If the rapture doesn't occur before I go home to be with the Lord, I will face that at peace with God. It's a very, very rich things in life. And, and that's what the sacrifice um, represented. In the ancient world, when, the, when hostilities would end between one tribe and another, or one nation or another, they'd sit down and have a common meal to celebrate the end of that hostility. And so this was a celebration of relationship with God, peace with God. When his, peace offering is a sacri when his offering is a sacrifice of a peace offering, if he offers it of the herd, whether male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. And he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Again, the worshiper doing this. And Aaron's sons, then they would take care of the blood issue of the sacrifice. Aaron's sons, the priests, shall sprinkle the blood all around the altar. And then he, that is the offer, shall offer from the sacrifice of the peace offering an offering made by fire to the Lord. The fat that covers the entrails or the, the intestines, these are the portions of the peace offering that were burnt on the fire 
uh, and, and God received as his own. And then he, he, dis, he dispenses the other, other parts of the peace offering. So uh, God got the guts, uh, the entrails, and all the fat that is on the entrails, the two kidneys, and the fat that is on them by the flanks, and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys, he shall remove. Now isn't that like a dad? He says, listen, I'll take the yucky stuff. I mean, I, you, you can't be eating this junk. But I, I see how you've given it. And I see that this is, this is where the life of the animal comes from. So it means something different to me. But it wouldn't mean anything if I returned it back to you. So I'll take this and I'll turn, I'll turn the good part of the offering over to you. Very, very interesting. Um, again, there's mystery about why God takes some of these pieces and, and all. Again, I can't wait till I get to heaven and uh, hear the Bible teaching on why he took some of these parts and didn't take other, other parts and all. One of the things that we might be able to guess, and, I, and there's absolutely there is symbolism that speaks of Christ related to all of it. But um, I'm just not smart enough to figure it out, and I'm not reckless enough uh, to give you some of the theories that I've heard. But anyway, uh, but one of the things that's interesting is he, he takes the liver. He wants the liver to be offered to him. Now, in the ancient world, one of the ways that the pagan people used in order to uh, discern the future, uh, you know, divining and that kind of stuff, is they would read the liver. They would cut the liver out of an animal. They would cut it open. They'd read the liver as a, to know, okay, what are their gods telling them they're supposed to do? So God just kind of comes in and says, listen, you're heading into all that stuff. might become a temptation to you. I'll just go ahead and take the liver and to remove the temptation. It is no temptation to me. I'm not consulting any liver, you know. Those of you, my mom was on a kick one time when we were kids. She was going to get liver once a week for the health benefits. Oh, mercifully, it lasted about three weeks. And we found every way to get that liver in our socks and in our pants and down our shirts. Ugh. My poor mom. So, this was what he wanted. Aaron shall burn it on the altar upon the, poor, uh, on the, burnt, upon the burnt sacrifice, which is on the wood that is on the fire, as an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. If his offering, uh, if his offering is a sacrifice of the peace offering to the Lord, is of the flock, whether male or female, he shall offer it without blemish. Now, here God is going to give uh, people... Uh, different alternatives so not everyone could afford a bull as a peace offering uh, only probably the richer person could do that and so the more middle class common person God allows for the offering of, of an animal of the flock a sheep or, or a goat and in order for that uh, to uh, he, he would receive that equally he didn't, uh, he didn't want anyone to be excluded from expressing uh, this, uh, this thanksgiving and all for the, the peace offering and praising God related to that. Now it is fascinating in light of the burnt offering and other offerings is he does not allow for the very poor to offer um, as a peace offering a bird. And, uh, you know, as he did in other places where you could offer a pigeon or you could offer uh, something like that, turtle doves. He didn't allow that. The reason being, not enough meat on them. 
to share with God and the priests and the worshiper. And that, that was the symbolized, symbol, symbolizing of the, uh, uh, you know, okay. If he offers a lamb, uh, verse 7, of, as his offering, then he shall offer it before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it before the tabernacle of meeting. And Aaron's son shall sprinkle its blood all around on the altar. And then he shall offer from the sacrifice of the peace offering as an offering made by fire to the Lord its fat and the whole fat tail which he shall remove close to the backbone. Um, now he's talking about a sheep and so a sheep's a bull different than a, a bull here and um, so he, he, he talks about this the fat next to the tail. They, have, they had a variety of, of sheep in uh, uh, ancient Israel and it had a very very fatty tail. Um, the, the animal would store its fat in its tail area. It could weigh as much as 16 pounds and uh, God says you go ahead and give that to me. Now we know, what do we know? I mean thousands of years later we know what? It's not good to be eating all that fat like that. And so, again, God just saying, you know, it smelled good when it burnt too, but he's just saying, listen, you, you, that's not going to be good for you. It won't bother me. I have no problem with cholesterol or, or anything like that. And uh, so you roll that my way, and I'll give you kind of the leaner cuts of all, all of this. So they were to offer the fat, whole fat tail, which he shall remove close to the backbone, and the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails. The two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys he shall remove and the priest shall burn them on the altar as food an offering made by fire to the Lord. If his offering is a goat uh, rather than a sheep. Then he shall offer it before the Lord. He shall lay his hand uh, on its head and kill it before the tabernacle of meeting. And the sons of Aaron shall sprinkle its blood all around on the altar. Then he shall offer from it his offering as an offering made by fire to the Lord. The fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails. The two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys he shall remove and the priest shall burn them on the altar as food an offering made by fire for a sweet aroma all the fat is the Lord's and so the Lord would recognize it as kind of a, his side of partaking in this meal it was offered to him as food and this shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations and all your dwellings you shall eat uh, neither fat nor blood and so the prohibition against the eating of of fat or blood and uh, we see the health reasons for not eating the fat at least these high concentration of fatty cuts of of the animals but then uh, later on we'll get into a little more thoroughly the God's prohibition against uh, eating any blood and that is an animal that hadn't been properly bled uh, or drinking of any blood in any way and the reason is as the Bible says it, it it, elsewhere in the, in the law is the life is in the blood the life is in the blood and it's only been in recent history where you have the scientists and whatever the proper name is for them and all where they study the blood and they realize the life of the bodies in the blood 
And, uh, and, and so when we talk about Jesus, and even as we've sung tonight about His blood, His blood being shed for us, it's very good for us in our thinking to not just think of blood. Blood represented life. So we're singing about the fact that He gave His life for us. And because the blood represented life under that old, uh, old covenant. Chapter 4. He heads now into uh, uh, what is called the sin offering. And he's uh, going to uh, identify it. We'll see in just, uh, just a little, little bit. The sin offering, chapter, or chapter 4, uh, the sin offering here, and he'll, he'll head, uh, you know, the whole chapter is, is about that. And what it was for is the sin offering provided a covering, uh, kind of an Old Testament uh, forgiveness for unintentional sin. Unintentional sin. And it's very, very important. Chapter 4 is very, very important for us to um, understand, especially in this American culture, where we um, people be, tend to think, you call them a sinner, and you might get punched in the nose. Nobody accepts the assessment anymore. You know, a sinner, that's my neighbor. That's not me. So a sinner is always someone that's just a little bit worse than us, right? An axe murderer, something like that, you know. And uh, so... What people, uh, they have redefined sin. They've redefined what a, a sinner is. And, and so uh, the, the Bible's very helpful in keeping our, our definitions proper related to all of this. And one of the things that the sin offering teaches us is that sin is sin whether we do it deliberately or not. Whether it's intentional or not, it is still sin in God's universe and um, it, and unintentional sin makes me every bit a sinner as much as an intentional sin makes me a sinner in terms of disqualifying me uh, for heaven for instance if I'm driving on the highway and I start daydreaming and my speed you know goes up to 80 85 miles an hour or something in a 65 mile an hour uh, hour limit CHP officer pulls me over writes me a ticket he or she would be perfectly just in, in doing it even though I didn't intend I had no intention of driving that fast I had intention of driving the speed limit and, and all of that and, uh, and I didn't intend to do it but I still sinned against the laws of the land I'm guilty I still need to pay my debt to society I must satisfy the righteous demands of the law now if the state of California can demand that of you, uh, if the United States government can demand that uh, of you, the kingdoms of, of man is also true of the kingdom of God. To violate his commandments, whether I do it knowingly or unknowingly, deliberately or uh, unintentionally, uh, it doesn't matter. It's still sin against his law in the universe and it makes me a sinner and you can't ignore the sin and you can't any more than you can get away with something you know on uh, with a CHP officer and say you know I didn't mean to do it <laughs> oh okay wow that's a new one you know to make them put the book away no they've got to address address the sin I think it's very very important for people to understand who think that they're going to get to heaven and they're going to have a right standing before God uh, based upon their best effort. And the idea is, I think that we all just get to heaven if we just do our best and God accepts that. He doesn't. He doesn't. 
You're talking about a God who isn't holy. And He is a holy God. All sin is sin against His kingdom. It's sin against God. It has to be addressed. There must be forgiveness for it in order for me to have a right relationship with Him. And this offering of this sin offering, it reinforced in the minds of the people that sin was sin. It separates us from God, whether it is intentional or whether it's unintentional. I didn't mean to. doesn't take away my sin. It still takes a sacrifice to receive a covering for that sin. And uh, so too uh, with, with Jesus. Even unintentional sin before we became a Christian is all a part of all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You may sit and say, I've never willfully and deliberately done something wrong to another person. But, but I've been less than perfect uh, despite my best intentions. You're still a sinner. And you're still separated from God and you still need a Savior in order for your sin to be dealt with all of it. Very, very important because the average person does not have a biblical view of, of sin. Sin is not just deliberate wrongdoing. It can be unintentional. Uh, it, it, it can be the sin of omission to know to do something. I know I should do something. This would be the right thing, the good thing to do in the situation. But I uh, don't do it. Uh, I'm unwilling to do that. So I didn't do any active wrong in the situation. But I failed to do the right thing in the situation. That's all that sin in, in God's eyes. And so sin is to be less than perfect for any reason, intentionally or unintentionally, and it's all a part of the all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And, uh, and it's a, a beautiful thing that was reinforced daily over and over again in the lives of the children of Israel. As a type of Jesus, it reminds us uh, of Him as our sin offering. When Jesus died on the cross for our sins, He died for the forgiveness of all of our sins. Our intentional sins, our unintentional uh, sins, He covered all of it. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel saying, If a person sins unintentionally against any of the commandments of the Lord in anything which ought not to be done and does any of of them, And now he's going to give us uh, four different circumstances uh, where different people could commit unintentional sin and the sacrifices that were required. Example number one, the anointed priest. The anointed priest is the high priest. If the anointed priest sins, uh, bringing guilt on the people, and so here is the recognition of leaders in the Old Testament, leaders in the body of Christ in the New, Te New Testament, even unintentional sin... Uh, because of their position of, of leadership, their position of authority and influence, their sin has far-reaching uh, implications. It reaches out and affects a lot of people, even when it's unintentional. And so the high priest or people in leadership were constantly being reminded of the fact that my sin, even unintentional sin, has far-reaching consequences among God's people. And, and what this would do is if there was no sacrifice associated with it, then the high priest or someone in leadership would say, well, I didn't mean to do it, shrug his shoulders and say, well, that's just the way that it goes, and go on about his business. 
Um, but if he has to offer a sacrifice at some considerable expense to himself and confess his sin, then he looks at that and says, um, even though that was unintentional, there was no malice in my heart, what am I supposed to learn here about this so that I don't do even this unintentional sin again in my life? It's producing holiness uh, in their lives and the lives of leadership. We're going to see for the whole nation of Israel too. Remember the theme of Leviticus is holiness. All of this is speaking to them of the importance of holiness. If the anointed priest sins, bringing guilt on the people, then let him offer to the Lord for his sin, which he has sinned, a young bull without blemish as a sin offering. And he shall bring the bull to the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord, lay his hand on the bull's head, and kill the bull before the Lord. And then the anointed priest shall take some of the bull's blood and bring it to the tabernacle of meeting. And the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle uh, some of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary. So here is this uh, sin offering, put his finger in it, and he'd sprinkle seven times before uh, the, uh, the veil that separated the Holy of Holies from, uh, from the holy place. And seven in the Bible is, a, is the number of completion, uh, seven days in a week related to God's creation and his uh, day of rest and all. So what this represents was an outward symbol where God was saying, I, I completely accept this sacrifice, this, your obedience to offer this sacrifice as a covering for your unintentional uh, sin. So there were just these ways that God would have them do certain things that would reinforce, uh, these actions would reinforce spiritual lessons in their life. And the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of sweet incense that was in the holy place. Remember the altar of incense represents prayer so he would take a part of that blood there were four horns on that furnishing he'd apply blood to each of the four horns it was the recognition by the priest that there was the potential that his uh, sin could uh, adversely affect his prayer life and, uh, and he didn't want that. And so it was a way of saying, now Lord, cleanse me. I don't want any sin in my life, intentional or unintentional, to grieve your Holy Spirit and affect my prayer life. Beautiful imagery, isn't it? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Beautiful imagery, isn't it? Yeah. All right, there we go. I like that. <laughs> So this is on the radio, by the way, and so if nobody answers, people think I'm in a closet here, just doing a J. Vernon McGee thing or something, you know, with no, no audience through the Bible in five years, which I could never do. So J. Vernon's on, he's in another league. So they would take that on the uh, sweet incense before the Lord which is in the tabernacle of meeting and he shall pour the remaining blood of the bull at the base of the altar of the burnt offering which is at the door of the tabernacle of meeting and he shall take from it all the fat of the bull as a sin offering the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat which is on the entrails the two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys he shall remove and as he as it was taken from the bull 
of the sacrifice of the peace offering and the priest shall burn them on the altar of the burnt offering but the bull's hide and all its flesh and its uh, head and legs its entrails and uh, offal uh, again its intestines and, and all uh, the whole bull he shall carry outside the camp to a clean place where the ashes are poured out and burn it on wood with fire where the ashes are poured out it shall be burned and so this uh, sin offering was not to be burned uh, the larger portion of the animal was not to be burnt on the brazen altar in the courtyard because it was a sin uh, offering and uh, so that was to be taken outside uh, of the camp and to be burned uh, away from kind of the holiness of of that place the um, the uh, it, it was another way of uh, just symbolizing to the high priest the seriousness of their sin that even his sacrifice uh, for his his unintentional uh, sin it would to to consume that sacrifice on the altar there would pollute the tabernacle and so it reinforced the seriousness of sin the biggest part of all of this for taking the sin offering not burning it on the altar there but taking it out outside the camp is as a picture of of Christ. It's a picture of of the Lord. Remember that Jesus was crucified outside of the temple area, outside of the city of Jerusalem at Calvary. If you go to Israel today and you go to the city of Jerusalem, you'll see the ancient walls and on the inside of the ancient walls there's the praetorium where Jesus was tried and where he was scourged and all, but he was crucified outside of the camp. He was crucified outside of the gates of the city. He walked from the praetorium carrying his card, Simon the Cyrene, his cross, Simon the Cyrenian helped him with that and he went outside to Calvary as the sin offering. He was not crucified or sacrificed inside of, of, of the temple area. He was crucified outside of the camp fulfilling this Old Testament uh, imagery. And so uh, you see all of it as you go there. So you, sometimes you read the gospel accounts and you wonder, you know, why was Jesus taken outside the city to be uh, crucified? Why would heaven, on top of everything else, why would heaven allow, you know, this additional indignity to be done to him? Because the body of the sin offering was always taken outside the camp. And Jesus is our sin offering for our unintentional sin and intentional sin. And so when the writer of the book of Hebrews writes, Therefore, let us go forth to him, speaking of Jesus, outside the camp bearing his reproach, he's saying that if Jesus was willing to die for our sins outside the camp, then we should be willing to stand uh, for him there and be willing to accept the rejection of others in order to stand with him. And where any rejection that we would receive in the world by standing with a crucified Savior is a, is a badge of, of honor. Now, this unintentional sin, verse 13, he addresses it when the whole congregation of Israel would be guilty of it. So maybe something happened where uh, somebody made a mistake and they missed a holy day or, or somehow violated the law of Moses and only became aware of it uh, later. They were to offer an offering for it. Now if the whole congregation of Israel sins unintentionally and the thing is hidden from the eyes of the assembly and they have done something against any of the commandments of the Lord in anything, 
anything which should not be done and are guilty. When the sin which they have committed becomes known, then the assembly shall offer a young bull for the sin and bring it before the tabernacle of meeting. And the elders of the congregation shall lay their hands on the head of the bull before the Lord. Then the bull shall be killed before the Lord. The anointed priest shall bring some of the bull's blood to the tabernacle of meeting. Then the priest shall dip his finger in the blood, sprinkle it seven times before the Lord in front of the veil. And he shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar which is before the Lord, which is in the tabernacle of meeting, and he shall pour the remaining blood at the base of the altar of burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. He shall take all the fat from it and burn it on the altar, and he shall do with the bull as he did with the, uh, with the bull as a sin offering. Thus he shall do with it. So the priest shall make atonement for them, and it shall be forgiven them. Then he shall carry the bull outside the camp and burn it as he burned the first bull. It is a sin, of, uh, it is a sin offering for the assembly. Third example is when a ruler, maybe the head of one of the tribes of Israel, later when the, the whole issue of kings was introduced into Israel's history, this would have application. When a ruler has sinned and done something unintentionally against any of the commandments, of the Lord his God and anything which should not be done and is guilty. Or if his sin which he has committed comes to his knowledge, he shall bring as his offering a kid of the goats, a male without blemish. So he can bring an inferior offering because the repercussions of his unintentional sin less far-reaching than the high priest. So he could bring the kid of, of a goat rather than a bull. And he shall lay his hands on the head of the goat, goat, kill it at the place where they killed the burnt offering before the Lord. It is a sin offering. And the priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger, put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering, and pour its blood at the base of the altar of burnt offering. And he shall burn all its fat on the altar like the fat of the sacrifice of the peace offering. And so the priest shall make atonement for him concerning his sin, and it shall be forgiven him. Fourth example is the unintentional sin of the common people, a non-ruler kind of people. If any one of the common people sins unintentionally by doing something against any of the commandments of the Lord and anything which ought not to be done and is guilty, or if his sin which he has committed comes to his knowledge, when he, then he shall bring as his offering a kid of the goats, a female without blemish, for his sin which he has committed. And he shall lay his hand on the head of the sin offering, kill the sin offering at the place of the burnt offering. And then the priest shall take some of its blood with his finger, put it on the horns of the altar of the burnt offering, and pour all the remaining blood at, uh, uh, at the base of the altar. He shall remove all its fat, as fat is removed from the sacrifice of the peace offering, and the priest shall burn it on the altar for a sweet aroma to the Lord. So the priest shall make atonement for him, and, he, and it shall be forgiven him. If he brings a lamb uh, as his sin offering, he shall bring a female without blemish and then uh, he shall lay his hand on the head of the sin offering kill it as a sin offering at the place where they kill the burnt offering the priest shall 
take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger, put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering, and pour all the remaining blood at the base of the altar. He shall remove all of its fat as the fat of the lamb is removed from the sacrifice of the peace offering. Then the priest shall burn on uh, it, it on the altar according to the offerings made by fire to the Lord. So the priest shall make atonement for his sin that he has committed and it shall be forgiven him. Uh, anybody thankful for Jesus just yet? Wow. I mean, this is very time intensive, very expensive, all of these things. Jesus has fulfilled all of these sacrifices and we have the great privilege of being able to pour all of our time and attention into the personal relationship. Uh, we are very, very blessed uh, to be Christians. Uh, chapter 5 he addresses the final uh, one of these five offerings, and it's called the trespass offering. The sin offering uh, dealt with a Old Testament forgiveness or covering for unintentional sin on the part of, of one of God's people. The trespass uh, offering uh, would confront the sinner with the damage that his sin did to other people. And he would offer not only the offering, but then make restitution for what his, uh, the damage that his sin had caused to uh, other people. And so it reminded the guilty party of the fact that their sin, intentional and unintentional, hurt other people. So uh, this, uh, this trespass offering did a couple of things. In order to make things right with God, it required an open confession to God of their guilt, an offering of a sacrifice for uh, the covering of their, uh, of their sin, and then they were forced to make things right with those that they had cost money or cost them something uh, by, uh, as a result of their sin. What it teaches us about Jesus Jesus is this. Some of the sins that are described, and this whole trespass offering goes from chapter 5, verse 1 through uh, uh, verse 6, uh, verse 7 of chapter 6 here. And uh, the sins, some of the sins that are described in this section are sins that are intentional. Uh, they are deliberate sins. And so, the, uh, unlike the unintentional sins that were covered by the sin offering, the trespass offering would also cover intentional sin. I've, I've heard and read many times where people would say there was no offering in the Old Testament for intentional sin. But I don't agree with that. And you'll see that as we read through this in just a moment, that there was the trespass offering would cover even intentional uh, sin. And what it teaches us about Jesus is that his death upon the cross for us has provided us with a forgiveness not only for our unintentional sin, but also for our, our intentional sins. Now when you came to know the Lord... What if you came to know the Lord and God said, All right, God forgives you of all unintentional sin. Ah, uh, what about the intentional sins? I've got a fairly heavy history with those, you know. And, uh, and, and, and so we, God knew we needed a Savior that would provide us with forgiveness for unintentional sin and intentional sin. And that's the Savior that we have uh, in, in Jesus. And so praise the Lord that he, he provides both. Paid a tremendous price to provide both. 
tremendous personal price to provide us uh, with that in order that even though forgiveness is a gift and it's easily received by us when we see the price that Jesus paid to provide us with that forgiveness we will never become casual or cavalier about uh, sinning and, and uh, just thinking it's no, no big deal uh, chapter 5 verse 1 if a person uh, uh, sins in the hearing uh, of an utterance of an oath and is a witness whether he has seen or known of the matter if he does not tell it he bears guilt see this is a deliberate sin in those days they didn't really sign contracts so much let's say you borrowed five hundred dollars from me and you said I want to borrow five hundred dollars from you and I'll, I'll return it to you at the end of the month well not too many people could read or write or those kinds of things so what you would do is you would call someone over to witness the oath they would hear the oath that was being witnessed it was a contract this man has borrowed five hundred dollars he's made the promise to repay it at the end of the month and so now here's the end of the month he hasn't repaid it and the guy that heard the oath he likes both people involved he's gonna zip his mouth he's not gonna say anything because he doesn't want to hurt anybody's feeling so he's just gonna sit on the oath and he's obstructing justice in in that and the Lord says if anybody does that then he's guilty of intentional sin and he needs to offer a, 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 a trespass offering for that. If a person touches any unclean thing, uh, whether it is the carcass of an unclean animal or the carcass of unclean livestock or the carcass of unclean creeping things, and he is unaware of it, he shall uh, also be unclean and guilty. If he touches uh, human uncleanness, we'll talk all about this in future chapters whatever uncleanness with which a man may be defiled and he is unaware of it and he realizes it then he shall be guilty to touch unclean animals to uh, touch unclean body fluids from another human being it rendered you ceremonially unclean and it required even if you didn't deliberately come into contact with him it required a trespass offering or if a person swears uh, speaking thoughtlessly with his lips to do evil or to do good talking about a rash vow uh, whatever is it is that a man may pronounce by an oath and he is aware of it when he realizes it then he shall be guilty um, in any of these matters. So if a guy says, you know, he makes a vow, I'm absolutely going to do this, and then he realizes, that's unrealistic, I can't fulfill that vow. He couldn't just shrug his shoulders and say, well, that was just a stupid thing for me to say. He made the vow to somebody. Somebody's depending on it now. And so in order for him to kind of back off from that vow, he had to offer a trespass offering. It would teach him a lesson to become much slower in, in his... Uh, in his speech and uh, it shall be um, that when he is guilty uh, in any of these matters that he shall confess that he has sinned in that thing and he shall bring his trespass offering to the Lord uh, for his sin which he has committed a female from the flock a lamb or a kid of the goats as a sin offering and so the priest shall make atonement for him concerning his sin so he would confess I've sinned here related to any of these situations and then bring an offering on top of that confession in order for uh, a covering for the sin if he's not able to bring a lamb uh, 
then he shall bring to the Lord for his trespass, which he has committed, two turtle doves or two young pigeons. So this is for someone who is poor. Uh, they, there was an alternative for someone who was poor to make this sacrifice. They could offer these birds. One is a sin offering and the other is a burnt offering. And he shall bring them to the priest who shall offer that which is uh, for the sin offering first and wring off its head from its neck but shall not divide it completely. And then he shall sprinkle some of the blood of the sin offering on the side of the altar and the rest of the blood shall be drained out at the base of the altar. It is a sin offering. He shall offer the second uh, as a burnt offering according to the prescribed manner. So the priest shall make atonement on his behalf for his sin which he has committed and it shall be forgiven him. If he's poorer still and he can't afford two turtle doves or two pigeons, so we're talking about the very poor, God didn't want anyone excluded from receiving this forgiveness, Old Testament forgiveness for their sin. If he's not able to bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons, then he whose sin shall bring for his offering one-tenth of an ephah, about two quarts, of fine flour as a sin offering he shall put no oil on it, uh, nor shall he put frankincense on it. It wasn't to be spruced up. Uh, God's anointing of his Holy Spirit uh, it can't be put upon sin. Uh, there's no frank, frankincense wasn't to be uh, placed upon it. Our sin is not a sweet fragrance to the Lord, so it was to be unordained. It's a, 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 a adorned it's a sin offering and then he shall bring it to the priest and the priest shall take his handful of it as a memorial portion and burn it on the altar according to the offerings made by fire to the Lord it is a sin offering the priest shall make atonement for him for his sin that he has committed in any of these matters and it shall be forgiven him the rest shall be the priest as a grain offering now um, it's interesting in, in this uh, vein, if you have, and it's, it's too important for me to pass up, as great as, as the temptation would, would be. One of the fascinating things about this offering of a grain offering uh, as a part of the trespass or sin offering uh, it is it, it, you would think that there would be only uh, blood offerings would be accepted as a sin or a trespass offering. But here in this very specific case, God accepted a, a flour or a grain offering for the forgiveness of, of, a, of a trespass. Now, uh, and it's highly unusual in the Old Testament. And I remember several years ago, I picked up a book in Israel written by a Jewish rabbi, and it was this kind of um, stage debate in the mind of the rabbi between a, a preacher and a rabbi and of course the rabbi won every argument but um, he, he uses an example uh, in, in the, the book he used this sacrifice of the grain offering here of the flower offering as a, as a sacrifice for, uh, for sin as an example of the fact that the shedding of blood is not always required for the forgiveness of sins. So he's, he's, he's punching Christianity in the nose and he's specifically punching the writer of the book of Hebrews in the nose or attempting to because in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22 it declares that without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sins. And so the point that he was making was that 
as a result of the fact that God takes and he accepted non-blood sacrifice as a covering uh, for sin, that it really didn't matter that the Jews did not offer animal sacrifices for their sins as demanded by the law of Moses. And that's a question they get asked a lot about in Israel, the Jewish rabbis or, or leaders do. And the question is, without the sacrificial system, how do you receive the forgiveness of your sin? How do you deal with the remission of, of your sin? And uh, so he looks here and he says, well, here's a way out, this, this uh, little section of the book of Leviticus. There's two problems with his argument. Number one, you don't prove the rule by an exception. It is, I mean, you've read through the passage with me, the detail that God is going to, the sacrifices, the blood, the everything on this. It is intellectually dishonest to think that God included this little allowance for the poor as a reason to disregard chapter after chapter after chapter of instruction demanding blood sacrifice. That's not, a, that's not someone who's dealing with the argument honestly. The second thing is, is that this non-blood sacrifice could only be offered uh, to God as an atonement for sin because like these other sacrifices it was covered by the umbrella of the sacrifice made on the day of atonement in chapter 16 the single great sacrifice that was made in the Jewish religious calendar it took and by blood covered the larger sin uh, issue related to God's people. I think without the Day of Atonement and that sacrifice, there could not be this sacrifice. It finds its place only because it's under the larger uh, covering uh, uh, of that. And so the writer of the book of Hebrews is absolutely, of course, correct in saying that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And thus the Lord spoke, uh, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, if a person commits a trespass and sins unintentionally in regard to the holy things of the Lord, then he shall bring to the Lord as his trespass offering a ram without blemish from the flocks with your valuation in shekels of silver according to the shekel of the sanctuary as a trespass offering. And he shall make restitution for the harm that he has done in regard to the holy thing. He shall add one-fifth to it, 20%, and give it to the priest and so the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the trespass offering and it shall be forgiven him so if you do a sin and you've wronged somebody and it's cost them something you had to return the value of that wrong to them plus 20 percent restitution is a great deterrent to crime and wrongdoing if a person sins and commits any of these things which are forbidden to be done by the commandments of the Lord though he does not know it uh, yet he is guilty and shall bear his iniquity and he shall bring to the priest a ram without blemish from the flock with your valuation as a trespass offering and so the priest shall make atonement for him regarding his ignorance in which he has erred and did not know it and it shall be forgiven him it is a trespass offering he has certainly trespassed against the Lord and, and I'm going to stop there but if, if we were to go down into the next seven verses, it's a continuation of the trespass offering. The Lord gives at least one more example of the trespass offering covering deliberate 
willful sin. In fact, more than one example there. So it's important for us to realize, and I think to correct a, a misunderstanding that there is no covering uh, or forgiveness of sins in the Old Testament uh, covenant and, and sacrificial system. There is. So there we have the first Kind of uh, chapter 6 and chapter 7 is kind of a recap of everything that we've already been through. And they'll recap all five of these, these sacrifices. It took all five sacrifices and more to even scratch the surface uh, related to all of the blessings that Jesus has brought into our lives through one sacrifice. Through one sacrifice. The burnt offering giving us the privilege of total consecration to God and that's a privilege the grain offering provided us with a it, Jesus provided us with a relationship with God that allows us to express our thanksgiving to him to see our life in the context of God the peace offering provided us Jesus has provided us with a peace based relationship with God and uh, not a works war relationship with God a peace based relationship with God the sin offering he's provided us with the forgiveness of unintentional sin in our life the trespass offering he has provided us with forgiveness for the intentional sins that we have committed in our lives again Anybody else thankful for Jesus? <laughs> it's just tremendous. Just tremendous how blessed we are in Him in a way that the Old Testament saints could never dream of. But it paid a great price for it. The worship team come forward and the men come forward to serve communion. That would be great.